When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you? This is Sunday evening, Kieran. It's unusual for us. We're recording on a Sunday evening. If you, if your cunning plan was the, the, the further away we got from Saturday, the less I'd be likely to mention the Saturday's results, Kieran. I'm afraid that plan hasn't paid off. It's all, it's done is, all it's done is given me more time to hook up on wine and happy thoughts. How, but apart from that, Kieran, I've, I've sort of given it away how you are now, Kieran. That's terrible. If this is a drama, people will be turning off already. There's no jeopardy at all in this. How are you? I'm absolutely fantastic. I saw New Order on Friday night. Oh, that's nice. Uh, Deacon Blue on Saturday night. And it was my granddaughter's second birthday party on Saturday afternoon. And uh, we all spent a fortune buying her presents. And then we went out and collected conkers under the local horse chestnut tree. And she spent all of the time putting conkers from one cup into another, because that was far more fascinating than all, than all of the plastic purchases we've made. Well, she'll be, she'll be amazed that Grandad knows exactly where to look for conkers for. I'm glad you pointed out it's, the chestnut tree is a better place to look for them than anywhere else, Kieran. So they, although I have to say, if my team had lost 6-1, uh, the last thing I'd do on a Saturday evening is go and see Deacon Blue. That's not, that's not a mood changer, is it? It's just going to be... Who put me tickets for Deacon Blue when we were going to lose six? Well, anyway, and enough of this. Uh, this will be the last time you mentioned it, Kieran. And I have to say I'm disappointed with all our listeners who have been sending gleeful tweets, look literally like they're, they're tricketeurs around the guillotine, looking forward to the banter that we had just because Brighton lost 6-1, Palace beat Man United... And we all lost at home to Swansea. I have to say, Kieran, I was slightly disappointed with Ali's response. So we were we were watching Match of the Day together. And, and normally, when a team loses, because we know so many people who support other teams, she'll say, oh, poor Terry, Liverpool lost, he'll be really upset. Uh, we started watching your game, and after 2-0, she went, how many did Villa score in the end? And I went, six. She, it took about five minutes to stop laughing. She just kept going, poor, <laughs> she, poor Kieran, <laughs> you'll be so upset. Um, just tell me you didn't have a you didn't hedge it, Kieran. You didn't have a bet on Brighton losing six one, did you? I didn't have a bet on them losing six one. Okay, but I, my emotions were suitably hedged. <laughs> Very good way of putting it. Um, it's questions day, Kieran. We do have two big news stories. Uh, I'm afraid both involving announcements by club owners. Hmm. The first one of which, from the owner of Scunthorpe United, came as a surprise to fans of two clubs. 
Yes, uh, on Thursday afternoon, <laughs> David Hilton put out a uh, announcement effectively through the the Scunthorpe United uh, webpage, and he said he was no longer willing to uh, fund the club, and that after Saturday's game, they would play, be playing all of their home games at Gainsborough Trinity. Yeah, um, which was uh, you know a, a, a shock for for Scunthorpe fans. They'd made an absolutely superb start to the season partly due to the fact that they've got a very competitive budget, but that's, that's a separate issue. Um, but an even bigger shock to, to Gainsborough Trinity, who responded by saying, hold on, nobody's mentioned this to us in terms of the matches. Yeah, they, they later clarified the situation and said <clears throat> that there, there was an outstanding agreement that, in theory, Scunthorpe could play matches at, uh, at Gainsborough, but it had to be... Uh, approved by the the safety advisory group, so it, it's no no means cut and dried. Um, but th- there is a much bigger issue here because it is the end of the month, um, and by all accounts, wages were not paid on the Friday. Um, there is talk of county court judgments uh, with regards to unpaid bills, and there's also talk, and, and we don't we don't know how uh, accurate this is in relation to a significant amount of money being owed to HMRC for monies which, remember, have been deducted from people's pay and have been paid across by fans and other customers in terms of VAT. So it's it's a financial mess. Now, David Hilton is saying that he's withdrawn funding, that he's been getting um, abuse that he, he shouldn't be. And, and yeah, o- as an owner, a degree of grief comes with the territory, and, and I'm sure that as he's owned uh, other clubs, uh, I'm sure he must be aware of that. Anybody that has a go at, at a, a person's family, that, that, that's that's stepping over the line, uh, not not denying that. Um, but it's not good. Three three directors have resigned, by all accounts, and, and that's that's come through at Company's House. So so we're not quite sure who or what is running the club at present. They they lost three nil at home. On the Saturday, but then if the players are of the opinion, well, we ain't going to be paid, or uncertainty about payment, I wouldn't go in for a 50 50 challenge in the knowledge that on Monday morning, but effectively I'm looking for a new job uh, if, if I'm not going to be paid. And and therefore, you know, why jeopardize my position of being an available asset to another club? So Dave, David Hilton's tenure at Scunthorpe United, I think it's fair to say that there's been a lot happening in very little time. Um, we, we have hinted at issues before. Uh, I think a lot of credit goes to a some of the Scunthorpe fans who have looked into a variety of issues. Secondly, fans of Berry, e- even when Berry were in a very precarious position, they looked at David Hilton's background and he... He started to conduct conversations with people on social media, and, and I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. It's 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 a toxic place, as, as we both know, um, and it, it does mean that things don't always work out as you would like. So he withdrew his offer to to acquire Berry, saying he was getting stick from from fans at the time. Um, I think you have to bring up his past, and here, you know, Matt Slater and Phil Buckingham at the Athletic have done an awful lot of research. And uh, you know, Matt Slater's put out something. And, and we know both know Matt. Matt is a very thorough, a very fine investigative journalist, as is Phil. I've got to know them pretty well. And, and Matt said, 
what what they've written to date is effectively the first chapter of events which have happened in relation to uh, Scunthorpe United uh, over the course of the last seven to eight months. We had our Discord chat on Thursday night, and there was somebody from uh, somebody from Scunthorpe there. They gave us bits of information. I'm, I'll be honest; I'm, I am being guarded in what I say um, because ultimately, all I care about is that there is a Scunthorpe United to follow. That that's the preeminent thing. There are a firm of accountants, according to David Hilton, who are looking at the state of the company's finances with a view to trying to ensure that creditors are paid. But the vast majority of these contracts will will have been signed by David Hilton himself, certainly the playing contracts and and, uh, sponsorship deals for this season and so on. So it does does make you feel uh, uncomfortable. And my concern is that if I was that firm of accountants looking at what you can do in respect of Scunthorpe, one option is always to consider going into administration, but Scunthorpe United don't own the property assets. They don't own Glanford Park. So the first thing I'd be saying is, well, what have I got to sell? And I've effectively got the name of the club to sell, and that's about it. And and that's not going to settle all of the outstanding debts. So it, it's not good. Um, I, I I really would caution against this being conducted through Facebook and other social media means if if people you know, want want to to progress this um, a, a huge amount of credit has to go to the uh, the Scunthorpe United fans message board that they set up a GoFundMe page uh, to to try to help people who, who haven't been paid on on Friday I think it's raised well over fifty thousand pounds the last time I looked. Uh, and that's come from fans of all clubs. That's come from rival fans as well, and and it was and it was exactly the same for Brighton in in nineteen ninety six ninety seven. You know yourself as a you, know, you you did a benefit gig, and and we're the fans united where where fans say I, I don't want Brighton to win matches. I hate Brighton, but I, I still want a Brighton to hate. And it's the same if you're a fan of Grimsby or or other clubs in in the in the broad vicinity as well. So you know uh, Jason Stockwood, who who we know, uh, the the owner of uh, Grimsby Town, he's put five hundred pounds into the GoFundMe page. But then another slightly uneasy issue here is who who distributes that money to the employees because we want to make sure that it gets to the right people. And uh, yeah, there's there there is a there is a trust issue here. Um, everybody's entitled to rehabilitation, but David Hilton is a convicted criminal in respect of fraud. And would you give £50,000 to a person with that background? I think you'd have to have an awful lot of trust in them for for that to be the case. So an overall complete mess. It, It was quite heartening, Kieran, on our Discord chat the other night, which went on for an hour and could have easily been longer that... All the other fans, we had a couple of people, Scunthorpe fans basically, who were, were, did have some access to inside information, it seemed. But all the other people on the conversation were rallying around and, and just you know, expressing their prayers and hopes that this situation doesn't develop even further. Unfortunately, it does. It looks really grim at the moment. There were two things I meant to check myself last night, but um, as you can imagine, I was celebrating. Plus, it was a really good Strictly Come Dancing last night, really cracking. So I didn't get round to it. The second is, the first one, Robert, what what, what are the National League thoughts on a, a club arbitrarily announcing it's it's moving its 
its venue for the rest of the season because that's going to have a significant effect, you would imagine, on the club's ability to to stay up, you would think. And and secondly, is that not going to have a significant impact on their match day income? If they're, I'm guessing Gainsborough Trinity is a, a, a smaller ground and I'm guessing that quite a few Scunthorpe fans, this will be the, the, the straw that breaks the camel's back and they're going, well, I'm not... I'm not going to go. See, it, it, I don't see how this is, can in any way be described or spun as a positive move for Scunthorpe. No, no, it, it's not. I mean, the, the National League will go through its handbook. Um, I think Scunthorpe are allowed to play uh, at other grounds, but then you've got the coordination of fixtures. So, yeah. you know, what happens if, if uh, Scunthorpe are due to play a home game based on the current fixture calendar on the same day as Gainsborough? Um having matches taking place 24 hours after each other, well, that's not going to please the groundsman. Um, and that's going to involve a lot of organisation. And you can imagine local residents might, might not necessarily be happy. In terms of the impact upon match day income, um, Scunthorpe have been getting excellent crowds home and away. But as, as you rightly say, if uh, we've, we saw what happened when Coventry City ended up going to Northampton, Birmingham City, and, and I think for, for one match for, to Burton. Yeah. Um, and it is a... a hardcore um that's not to disparage any of the people that that choose not to go because they might have other commitments they might have travel concerns they might have family commitments and so on um so it will have an impact upon the club's finances and, and where does it leave the, the the contracts which have been signed in good faith by players um scumthorpe by all accounts were were one of the the few i think full-time teams in national league north um that that gives them a competitive advantage on the pitch not a competitive advantage if those players aren't being paid. Well, also you've got contracts with with caterers as well, for example. That's going to be affected by the change of venue, you imagine. Um, and on Friday, Kieran, you, you wait all year for uh, a ballsy statement from a club owner. And then we saw we got the second one in a week from the Sheffield Wednesday owner, Dejan Chan Siri, which is um, not only ballsy, it's quite chippy and somewhat provocative as well. Yes. Um, I think it's fair to say that, again, we're only a couple of chapters into the reign of uh, Mr. Chansiri. And he, he has been, at times, he's been a, a figure of fun, um, sponsoring the, the club through a taxi company, which had neither taxis nor a telephone number at the time. You know, that, that did raise eyebrows. Um, Sheffield Wednesday were promoted at the end of last season. Congratulations to them for that. Worthy promotion. And the first thing he does is he sacks the manager and accuses the manager of asking for too much money. Um, he doesn't have a background in football. Uh, his wealth would appear to come from uh, family uh, success rather than individual success. Uh, and he has said that, that he is going to withdraw funding from the club. He says that you know, valid criticism is part and parcel. We're used to that. But he's made claims that his family and children have been abused. Um, now, nobody's seen this, so there's no evidence of it on social media. And I think to be fair to, to Sheffield Wednesday fans, you know, the ones that I've observed on, on Twitter and so on, they say, well, we, we would not tolerate this type of thing. You know, we, we, we don't think he's very good at his job. Yeah, we're all adults, or rather, the vast majority of us are adults, and, and we can distinguish between having a go at an owner or a player and stepping over the mark in, in terms of family abuse. So, where this leaves Sheffield Wednesday in terms of its finances is uncertain. They, they've made a very poor start to the season. The fans are unhappy. 
Um, they would appear to have a relatively low budget, and they're they are a club that again don't own their own ground because, as we saw with Scunthorpe, in the case of Scunthorpe, the the previous owner sold the ground effectively to himself to write off some of the debts owed to him, and in the case of Sheffield Wednesday, Delphon Chancery sold the stadium. Um, this was a, a wheeze to get around financial fair play excesses, but he he messed that up as well, and they ended up with a points deduction and you know, sadly relegation. And we've always said, you know, we, what what goes on the pitch should dictate what what happens as far as tables are concerned. So it, it's messy in both instances. It's creating a lot of uncertainty in both instances. The owners are, are claiming it, it, it's not me. I can take it, but but my family, you know, that's too far. And and I absolutely agree. If there is evidence to support that, then then there are appropriate steps to go through. But all I can say that you know, it's, it's, yeah, we, we're both we, we're both working people. If 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 one of my students calls me a twat in class, I don't say to the whole class, "Write that." I'm I'm not going to write references for you. I'm not going to review your exams. I'm not going to give you any assistance when you need it, because that's punishing everybody for the misdeeds of one individual. And surely that is the appropriate way to behave. You don't target a whole group of people for. Uh, if uh, you know the, the actions of a of a you know one or two, well, I would. I, I, I'm a sulking. I, I I can't bear two mature people talking things out. I just do classic full on sulk. I, I would say to the rest of the students, if you want to know what I've not marked your paper or given you a reference, ask Tim. Take it out with him. He, he called. Has any of your students called you a twat, Kieran? What one did in yeah yeah when I was teaching at Manchester cheeky stuff so, did yeah, he yeah 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 he stuck his head round the door and says Maguire you're a twat why and deliberately uh, he he went out of his way to do it oh yeah yeah, well, yeah. It didn't just happen in conversation he just <laughs> no. wow and the the Chancery statement Kieran was quite long yeah. and there were almost comedic elements of hold my pint in it there, there was one bit in particular where he said um, uh, like like. Like many of you, I'm afraid I wasn't born in Sheffield. And he added to that, and I have no plans to die here either, which is kind of quite funny in, in a in a bleak sort of way. But if, if you're a Sheffield Wednesday fan, basically you, you've got your owner saying, I'm not putting any funds into this club anymore, but also saying, I'm not finding somebody else who will be doing that. I don't know. So, next, so you, you'd be really worried as a fan. I, I imagine as a player and a manager, you'd be... You'd be really worried. And also what was noticeable on Friday night, Ken, I remember the last time I saw a Sheffield Wednesday game was the, the playoff, the second leg when they that, that remarkable oh, yeah. that remarkable comeback against Peterborough when Hillsborough was was full. And I know it's a cliche, but it was rocking and it was fantastic. And it, it was far from full the other night, Kieran. And it, it's it was far from rocking as well. So these are fans that are clearly, you know, I know ticket prices are quite high at Sheffield, but Suddenly, you're you know, you're turning up or not turning up, and the bloke who owns your club says that's it. I'm pulling the plug. That's a worrying development, is it not? It is. I mean, I think the good news is is that we've not heard anything with regards to the the non-payment of September wages. Right. So, okay. at least that gives the club a little bit of leeway with regards to the next significant uh, financial outgoing. So that that is a positive. But as you rightly say, Sheffield Wednesday ticket prices have been a cause for concern for Wednesday fans and for away fans. Um, and the the merchandise prices, again, I've seen Sheffield Wednesday fans comment, you know, 
it, it's made by exactly the same manufacturer as other clubs in our division. So why are we being asked to pay £10 less? And, and Chancery's response is, well, if you, if you bought more of them, I'd lower the prices. But I, I don't think he's necessarily going to be held to his word with regards to that. So so there is a cause for concern because people will they won't be turning up for the next home game as a walk-up fan, given the start to the season that they've had. So where is the income going to come from, which is going to allow the club to pay the October wage bill if Chan, if Chancery holds to his word? Now, yeah, that, that is an if because... He, I think he is quite a combustible character. There is no doubt that he has historically put significant sums into the club through a variety of means. But, uh, yeah, it's not good. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion... You do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone. Whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football, and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Questions, Kieran, and the first question is, uh, how do you pronounce the name of the person who's asked this question? Um, I was going to try and Google this last night, but I was busy falling in love with Angela Rippon for the second time in my life. Um, I'm going to go for C-A-N, Hade, but it's C-I-A-N and then H-A-D-E, and it's eight letters, two short names that have given me a world of pain. Um, So if C-N, Kyan, Chien, maybe you don't pronounce a C, Kieran, maybe it's one of those posh names where it's just Ian. I don't know. But if they could let me know, I'd be most grateful because it's like having a crossword clue you can't solve. But it's a good question. And CN says, could you explain the Sarah Bjork Gunnarsdottir case and the impact it looks set to have for workers' rights in women's football? I need to work on my Icelandic accent as well. <laughs> yes, um, Sarah Bjork uh, Gunnarsdottir. Very good. Um, she was originally an Icelandic player. She was successful and, and she went to play elsewhere. And she ended up playing for uh, Olympic Lyonnais. And uh, she she became pregnant. She had a child, and yeah, fantastic. You, know, you, you wish uh, all, all young families, you know, health, health, and happiness. Of course. Um, but the football club didn't pay her, 
Um, and she put in a claim via the Footballers International Union called FIFPRO. And this went through to FIFA. And FIFA in January this year ruled in favour of Sarah. And I think this was quite a landmark case because um, there is there is a sniffy attitude towards female players um, who, who have children. And they they should be entitled to exactly the same rights as any individual who who who, who starts a family. Um, so the the response of Olympic Lyonnais was to say, "Well, we we would have given her some money, but French law uh, prevented us from doing that." And yeah, that that would appear to be nonsense. I I, I wasn't aware of uh, Victorian attitudes in in French. Uh, in French legislation. Now, as you know, we we are we, we are far fairly experienced pub lawyers, but that's British pub lawyers yeah. rather mm-hmm. than French. Um, so, so our knowledge of uh, French employment law with regards to maternity rights is unknown. But that looked like uh, a bit of a get out clause. Olympic Lyonnais, I, I think they were they're trying to put pressure on. They they did not offer her alternative employment. They they showed no interest in her personal circumstances whatsoever, which is just tawdry and shabby. Um, of and that doesn't matter whether you're a football club or any employee. You know, these are the people that work for you, and it's a hugely important part of their lives. So, so it just uh, it doesn't reflect well on the club. I think at the time the club was owned by a Chinese private equity. Uh, organization and, and I've got to be honest as, as you know I'm not the biggest fan of private equity um I can assure you nobody in private equity gives a damn about football but everybody in private equity does give a damn about making money and if this was a way that they saw of sh- save, saving a few quid um then they go along and take this um it was 82,000 euros but I think it is a landmark case because clearly FIFA have uh, uh, acted on behalf and in favour of the player, so that's that's where we are, and and it has set a uh, it has set a, a position going forwards that you would expect all club clubs would therefore have to adhere to. It, it, it's twenty twenty three, Kieran. I, I I don't know much about French employment law. I have to say, um, which is a lie because I know nothing about French employment law. By saying I don't know much, it implies I have a minimal uh, knowledge. I don't, but it's these days, Kieran. Fathers are given time off when they've had a baby. I'm fairly certain mothers are as well in France. Um, I I know this was a different ownership, but everything I start to hear about Olympic Lyonnais is starting to really annoy me as a Palace fan, obviously. Mm. And I mean, and also their women's team is enormously successful. I, I believe they're trying to, or I believe John Texter. Is trying to offload the women's team, but their women's team has been enormously successful. So this is not the way. And I, I, I apologise in advance for using the word asset here, but this is not how you treat an enormously successful asset, is it? You, you, it's just, it's not good. It's not good, and it's it needs resolving. And hopefully, whatever, I'm sure we would. Well, we will have silver-tongued French lawyers. I imagine French lawyers are even more silver-tongued than our lawyers, Kieran. <laughs> yes. That'd be much more cool than our lawyers, a French lawyer. Imagine how well-dressed. Nobody can be cooler than Nick DeMarco. Oh, I don't know. Imagine some of those French lawyers, Kieran. Imagine how well-dressed they would be. I'll tell you what, when we're on Jersey, we'll get a chance to check because they're sort of yes. half. Are they half? I'm going to get out. Are they half French? I need to, I'll do a bit of research about 
the geography and history of Jersey before I get there, Kieran. (laughs) (coughs) Alex Brown has a question. Um, It's something that we have discussed before. Oh, right, that's not fair, Alex. It's something that we get asked in pubs a lot because people still don't fully understand um, what counts towards FFP and what doesn't. And Alex Brown says, does FFP spending include money spent on infrastructure training facilities and youth development? And I'm almost expecting a one-word answer, Kieran, here. Um, well, there, there is a one-word answer um, in that, yes, it does. Uh, just to expand upon that, under the present rules, if you have infrastructure spending, so if you think about all of the money that Spurs spent on their new stadium, we've got Liverpool expanding theirs, Manchester City potentially expanding theirs, Chelsea thinking of doing something, with the, with the cash that they're trying to borrow at present, all of those costs are excluded from your FFP losses. Um, and that goes for training facilities as well. When it comes to youth development, academy costs, again, are excluded from the calculations. Um, and, and I think you have to be just a little bit cautious here because uh, yeah, we, we both know people who are employed uh, within the, the sports industry, within the football industry. We both know journalists who talk pe- to people in the sports industry as well. I, I know somebody who's a um, uh, an academy manager of, of a Category 1 academy, and he says, um, my official budget is £6 million, and that's what goes into our club's FFP calculations, but my actual budget is £2 million because you know, what's happening is costs are being charged to the academy, but he's not actually seeing any of the benefits. So he's ended up having to buy the cones, having to buy the bibs, and, and he's he's a, he's a you know he's a dedicated person. He he wants to uh, encourage these young people in terms of their pathway into the professional game, but it, but it, it is frustrating. So so that that is uh, one of the routes. And also, if you have a women's team, your women's team uh, if it's losing money, those losses are excluded, and, and community schemes as well. So we, we've got a secret academy manager now as well, have we? We have. Yeah, our, our Christmas party is Secret Santa is going to be uh, very busy. Well, well, everyone's going to have to be in separate rooms, Kieran, because otherwise yes. we, we'll know who they are. But you know, last week we had an imaginary scenario where we took on Gary Oldman to run all these moles. We're going to have to, his budget's going to have to really go up. Also, two million quid, that's, that's a lot of bibs. Two million quid. That's a lot of bibs. I've I've seen the Screwfix advert on, on Sky during Champions League games, and I know how it works. You just find yourself on the pitch with a mobile phone, you tap a little number and loads of bibs turn up. I'm sure that's the realistic way it happens. Um, Stuart Edgar has a question for us, Kieran. (coughs) Excuse me. And it's a good question, but listeners will have to pay attention here as to Club A and Club B. Uh, And I'm I'm not going to read out the brackets all the time because I'll be saying open brackets, close brackets quite a lot. But Stuart Edgar's question is this. I... I was hoping you might be able to shed some light. When a player is signed by Club A, there are frequently associated contract clauses which entitle the previous club, Club B, to a percentage of future transfer fees. However, if a player runs down his contract with Club A and the contract expires, but is then re-signed by Club A after this contract expiry, is Club B still entitled to associated contract clauses such as future sell-on percentages? Right. I, I spoke on this occasion to our very good friend, um, the secret lawyer, the secret sports lawyer, uh-huh. and he gave me his standard answer, which was, it depends, Kieran, and at length uh, when, Kieran, went on to an explanation. Kieran, we need a, we need a new secret lawyer. 
Because that's his answer to everything for you. Either we need to pay this lawyer properly and name him, and, and in which case we might get decent legal advice. Or, or her. Or her. Or her. Very good, Kieran, except, oh, damn, I've given away a clue now. Because I, one thing I do know is the gender have said, ah, this is why I'm not running the secret. I, it's, it, if I'd been parachuted into France the day before Normandy, the whole thing would have been called off. If I, <laughs> if I was caught, I wouldn't take a lot of torturing before I told the Gestapo everything. It's five beaches, um, Canadians on one, Americans on two. Um, yes, so it depends on what, Kieran? Well, it, it depends upon the small print of the contract. So, so let's let's take a scenario. So, let's say that Crystal Palace are Club A mm-hmm. and Reading are Club B. So, mm-hmm. what has happened here is that Palace have signed a player from Reading on a four-year contract, and we are now at the end of that contract. And the player says, "Well, I'm not going to re-sign." And Palace say, "Well, we don't want you back." And then four or six weeks later, they they realise that. They, they were really made for each other. So the player comes back. And then six months later, Palace sell the player. Now, is are Reading entitled to a share of the proceeds, given that it's more than four years from the original sale of, of what they would say is their player? And in theory, the player has signed a new registration. So therefore, if there was nothing in the original contract which allowed for a, a, a follow-up contract at Palace, then Palace would keep all of the money. If, however, the small print said that until this player ceases to be a Crystal Palace player under any way, shape or form, we are entitled to a sell-on, then that would be to the benefit of Reading. Okay. I'm, I'm so childish, Kieran, that I'm really pleased you made Palace Club A in that scenario, because if you'd made us Club B... I would have been quite chippy and I would have said it's because you lost 6-1 at the weekend and you're taking it out on me. Our next question, Kieran, comes from um, Joe Wolf. I mean, that's a, what a great name. Joe Wolf is a cracking name, although I imagine he was quite pleased to leave school, I'm guessing. But he couldn't <laughs> wait to be 18 and get out into the big wide world where being called Wolf wasn't quite as funny to grown-ups. But Joe Wolf is interested in how Manchester City can have the highest revenue of all clubs worldwide. And he actually says, it shocks me that that's true. I can understand a drop for Real Madrid and Barcelona, says Joe, with the way things are in Spain. But with the fan support of clubs like Man United and Liverpool in the Premier League selling out at every game and Man City often having empty seats at home, what is it that I am missing, please? Now, those empty seats won't imply that people haven't bought them. They're probably season ticket holders who haven't turned up, I imagine, Kieran. Yes, I think we need to look as far as, as all clubs are concerned, as to where income is generated. We've always said that there's three streams. First of all, you've got broadcast income. Now, in the case of Manchester City, they will be very much at the top tier of Premier League broadcast income because it's based on the number of appearances and where you finish in the table. Well, Manchester City have have won the Premier League for the last few seasons. Then if we take a look at UEFA broadcast monies, um, those are distributed, limited or linked to your historic success in the competition. Well, Manchester City made the, the final in 2021, the semi-finals in 22, and they won it in 23. So they've got a, a very high coefficient from UEFA. They also won the competition and they won the uh, Super Cup as well. So there's there's lots of um, positives as far as broadcast income is concerned. When it comes to matchday income, 
Uh, Manchester City only generate half of the amount of money uh, from compared to to Spurs. Because yeah, we, we know that the Spurs new stadium is a uh, the, the, the new White Hart Lane is very much a money making vehicle, and Manchester United, and th- this is where I, I think uh, it, it's an opportunity for a bit of tribalism, a bit for a bit of point scoring. Manchester City do not have the same size of an international stroke tourist fan base that the likes of Manchester United, Liverpool, Real Madrid, or Barcelona have. Nobody is denying that, certainly not City fans, but they, they do have a, a growing fan base, certainly with regards to that. If you go to Spurs ground uh, for a home fixture, you know, we, we've both seen the number of South Korean fans who are desperate to see their hero, and they are very, very lucrative. So clubs like tourist fans because, A, you charge them much higher prices for individual match tickets compared to season ticket prices, and B, they are far more likely to go to the mega store and spend an absolute fortune on merchandise and, and, and other products. Um, so that Manchester City are at a, uh, a significant disadvantage or uh, decrease compared to, to its peer group. Our third income stream is commercial. And I think this is this is the provocative one. This is what has effectively led to the, the charges being levelled by the Premier League and historically by UEFA. Uh, Manchester City generate over £300 million a year from uh, commercial partners and sponsorship. And the critics say that some of those contracts are not at market rates. Manchester City say they are. Um, but talking to people in the game, the common response I get is, well, yes, they're not as uh, global in terms of fan base as some of these other clubs, but sponsors love them because they've got, A, some very iconic people at the club. It, Pep Guardiola is a cool person to have next to your products. The same with Kevin De Bruyne, the same with Haaland, the same with Jack Grealish. So they have got some pretty high-profile players. And secondly, they can offer the big trophies. Do you want your product next to the Champions League trophy, next to the Premier League trophy? Well, if you do, you have to pay a bit extra for the privilege. And people are prepared to pay for that privilege. And that has been a contributory factor. We, We will wait and we will probably wait a long, long time before we know the judgment with regards to the charges. But that is the driving force. It is very much the commercial income. And yet Manchester City are expanding the Etihad to, to more than 60,000 seats. They, they wouldn't do that if they were failing to sell tickets. So I, I think it is a bit of a myth. Are there empty tickets? So are there empty seats on 80, 85 minutes when City are two or three up from a home match? Yes, there are. But, you know, I suspect that there were quite a few empty tickets or empty seats at Old Trafford yesterday. There certainly were when when Brighton played a couple of weeks ago when United were three one down, uh, going into injury time. And that's not that's not having a go at the fans. You know, fans have got to go home. whenever you're taking a stuffing at home or whenever you're you're cruising at home. There tends to be empty seats because people will say, "I can get a, a quicker train home," or "I want to see Strictly," or "I want to see this, that, and the other." And, and people say, "Well, there's no jeopardy left in the game, so let's go home." I, I can only apologise to Man United fans, Kieran. There's, there's no need for you to crowbar in a reference to you winning there a couple of weeks ago and the fact that you won by more than we won there on Saturday. But there again, <laughs> yeah, but there again, we lost uh, by less than you did at Villa. So I think in the United Villa matchup, 
I think we're slightly ahead in the table. <laughs> and this next question comes from Christian Roel Ferreira, another cracking name. And I suspect that Christian may have been in a pub or a coffee shop with some friends. And this is this came up as a discussion point. And they thought, I know what we'll do. We'll, we'll send it in to Kieran Maguire. He'll sort this one out. But Christian said, I was thinking about Chelsea's current transfer business and a novel idea came up. Can everyday people use the amortisation practice or is this reserved for... The sports industry, it's, it's something I've never given credit to, Kieran, but I'm guessing if, if producer Guy could find a way to amortise the, the money we get paid for this, he would have done that long ago, wouldn't he? It, he's paying you. He's not paying me. Is he not? Is this, is this, a, is this a revelation that has been well, kept from me? Well, it, it, well I say pay. He's asked me to let it sit in my bank account for it, until it all blows over, Kieran, in true Father Ted style. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, the reason why we have amortization, what are you amortizing? Well, you are amortizing the transfer fee. And the reason why you're amortizing the transfer fee, again, if, if let's let's use a Palace example. When when Palace sold Aaron Wan-Bissaka to Manchester United, he still had two, three years remaining on his contract. So Manchester United wanted to sign him. The player was keen to move. Palace said, well, hold on. He's our player. We've got a, a contract which says that he can only play for us for the next three years. You've got to give us compensation. So that is the transfer fee. And it is that transfer fee that's amortised over the length of the contract. That doesn't tend to be the case as far as um, uh, other jobs are concerned. So, you know, if if Gary Lineker uh, phones us both up and says, I want to do a podcast with you, um, you know, I hear producer guys not paying you very much. So we, we go and work for, for Gary Lineker. We just say to Guy, cheerio, we're off, just as you do in most jobs, because you're not tied to a future contract. Therefore, there's no issue. Where you potentially could have amortization, however, is if you are in a job, and, and this does perhaps impact upon the finance industry, where you've got very successful hedge fund managers and, and deal makers and so on, where you perhaps have a contract which says that if you are planning to move to another employer um, who is within our industry, you've got to do perhaps two years worth of gardening leave. And if your prospective new employer says, well, actually, we'd really like you to join now, what we'll do, we'll go to your existing employer and we'll give them £10 million compensation to release you from your gardening leave, what they could then do is to say, well, you've got to work for us for for four years, uh, a bare minimum, in order to get your bonuses. So therefore, we'll amortise the compensation that we pay. But for the vast majority of jobs, you know, I've moved from university to university, I've moved from the world of accounting and and, uh, my my start of my career where I was at working in the, uh, I was working in retail, I'll say no more than that, and I went into accounting. Um, no no compensation and no amortisation was paid. Hmm. I, I know that Gary Lineker does uh, occasionally listen to this pod, Kieran. So, Gary, if you are listening, you've got my number. We'll be very sorry to say goodbye to Producer Guy, but I'm sure there will be other opportunities for him elsewhere. I know for a fact Producer Guy is a big fan of Alan Shearer and Mika Richards, so, Gary, you could kill two birds with one stone. It's, uh, Kieran, Kieran can do Mika's laugh. I, I can swear like Alan Shearer if necessary. Just saying. Another strong name, Kieran. Uh, mm. Ask our next question. Benjamin Garthwaite. That's a that's a strong name. That's a good, good Northern name, that, isn't it? You'd imagine. I can't imagine Benjamin being 
anywhere else other than from Yorkshire. I imagine Benjamin knows his way around a stone wall, a, a, <laughs> a dry stone wall at that as well. Um, <laughs> my cousin's from Yorkshire. It's just it's one of the things, if you have an argument about whether what's better, London or Yorkshire, he, after the inevitable drink price comparison, he will get really cross and go, you haven't got any walls. So we've got loads of walls. We just, they, we just do ours with plaster and mortar like normal people. Don't just stick dry stones on top of each other. Um, tweet him, everybody. How would I? I'm an effete city boy. I wouldn't know what you do with dry stone walls, but they keep sheep out, I'm sure. Uh, Benjamin Garthway, it says, it seems there is some confusion among Man United fans about whether an acquisition would mean the new owner still has to pay off the Glazers' LBO debt. Having done some private equity-type transactions myself, I know many are done on a cash-free, debt-free basis. Would this be the case for Man U as well? And are there any specific rules that would apply to Premier League clubs? I like the way Benjamin drops in the having done some private equity type transactions myself in a kind of Uncle Terry type way. Uh, what's the LBO debt, Kieran? Uh, called that's for leverage buyout. So that oh, means okay, that right. what happens is you take yeah. over a company, but you can't afford to buy it yourself. So therefore, you borrow money secured on the assets of the company that you've just acquired. And that's what the Glazer family did to Manchester United in 2005. Cash-free, debt-free means that when you acquire that company, um, its old bank balance and its old loans have to be settled by the former owners. Right. Um, so this could be the case in respect of Manchester United. Uh, it is certainly common in all what you call major city lending, for there to be something called a change of control clause, which means that, and again, if you look at it from a from a personal finance point of view, if uh, if, if I had a house in a, with a mortgage, yeah, the mortgage company has has assessed me. If I sold that house to you and say, right, here he is, this is the agreed price. Oh, and by the way, you're taking over my mortgage. The, the lender might say, "Well, hold on, you know, we, we don't know Kevin. We, we, we therefore, we, we're not certain whether we would be willing to lend, and so on." So, so it's it's a case of the lender making sure that their security is protected. Now, it could be that the new owners who come in for for Manchester United, they they like the cut of their jib, and they say, "Well, we're quite happy to roll over the loan." because Manchester United's a cash cow, we'll get our interest on the due, due dates, we're quite happy with the interest rate and so on. But they reserve the right to recall the loan in the terms of the takeover. And what they tend to do is, is sort of to formally cancel loan one and then effectively set up an identical loan for the new owners. If that uh, rhetorical lender listens to this pod, Kieran, they, they definitely wouldn't be happy with me taking over the, the mortgage, would they? They'd be putting their foot down left, right and centre. Our next question, Kieran, comes from Steve-O. Uh, and I'm guessing <clears throat> that's probably a Steve-O as in a sort of South London Steve-O rather than Steve-O from Jackass, um, who I worked with once. Um, I was very excited about working with Steve-O from Jackass because I thought, well, this is going to be a week of fireworks being stuck up people's asses and going down mountains in shopping trolleys. But it turns out to be a very serious chap. And it was a bit more dull than I imagined it was going to be. And actually quite picky when it came to scripts. But Steve-O says, my question concerns the funding of the Premier League charitable foundations. 
as Kevin has mentioned, he's a trustee of the CPFC Foundation. I thought he would appreciate being asked to take the limelight away from Kieran on a financial matter. Uh, I'll be honest with you, Steve-O, I don't appreciate it that much. Uh, Kieran is a legendary football finance expert, and I asked half-assed questions and get geography wrong. So I'm perfectly happy with the roles we've been assigned. But Steve says, a friend of mine's daughter got a job working on a community scheme for a Premier League club's official foundation. And I gleaned a bit of an insight as to how these organisations operate. I was blown away by the extent of some of the community projects they were involved in. However, one matter that did come up was the nervousness within the foundation staff about the team's on-pitch performance. As the implication was that if a team were to be relegated, the foundation would potentially lose their Premier League funding. And this would directly impact the jobs of the staff working within the foundation. I may have picked this up incorrectly, but if not, excuse me, could you explain how this works? And also what a general funding method for a foundation would be, how they actually raise those funds and what happens if relegation comes along. Um, You've got it absolutely right, Steve-O. Everybody, uh, and I I only know about Premier League foundations, most clubs have a foundation or a charitable uh, aspect, charitable arm, and all of them are funded in, in various ways. And relegation will affect every single one of them as it does to the club in general. So, you know, a club gets relegated at the end of the season, Kieran, and, and fans of other clubs go, oh, well, that's a shame, or I don't care, depending on whether they like them or not. But what they don't realise is that people will be made redundant at the end of it because of budget cuts that have to come along, and it's the same in foundations. <coughs> Everton, <clears throat> everybody in the Premier League seems to agree that Everton has got one of the best foundations in the country. They do incredible work in an area you know well, Kieran, and in an area that needs help, to be perfectly honest, where young people need all sorts of help. But Everton, the trustees of the Everton Foundation and every single one of the staff at the Everton Foundation are having the same panic this year as they would have had in the last two seasons because relegation from the Premier League, it, it leads to a substantial hit on finances like most foundations we certainly do it you come up with two budgets for uh, at the start of each season you you basically set your budget for the start of next season and you have two you have one for staying up and one for going down now these figures are pretty much correct these might be last year's figures because i emailed a couple of the financial people at the foundation to make sure i was saying the right thing um they both panicked immediately and emailed me back to say can't kieran do it it might be much better if we talk to Kieran. Kieran can have our email. So, so um, <clears throat> I'm already discovering, Kieran, that your job's much harder than I thought. Just just talking about financial stuff's tricky, isn't it? Really. Um, basically, the, each Premier League club from the Premier League itself gets £230,000 a season. If you're relegated, then that goes down to 90000 So you get a sort of parachute payment. Uh, for the first season that you're relegated. So you're losing a substantial amount of your budget straight away. You also lose access to up to £250,000 a year for each club for from certain community funds that the Premier League will start that you're allowed to, to apply for. So you lose access to that as well. So it's a sub- substantial hit. It also means that you have to work much harder then on fundraising for uh, otherwise you're going to lose programs you're going to lose projects and that's that's what will happen the inevitable result of relegation means that 
fitness programs for youngsters, mental health programs for youngsters, work around knife crime and gangs, all, all sorts of, we could be here all day if, if we started going into some of the, the stuff that we do in the four boroughs around Crystal Palace. So like a lot of charities, foundations rely on donations, they rely on legacies, they rely on fundraising, things like comedy nights. We're doing the marathon march, walking 26 miles in two weeks. It's the seventh season that we've done it. Last year, we raised about £105,000, I think. Um, but then mostly what you're looking at is that every foundation will have someone whose who's job, pretty much full-time, is applying for grants from local authorities and from local companies, from local philanthropic companies. Too. And those grants might be for specific projects within a community or they may be just for general funding but after the Premier League most of the funding will come from one-off grants or general grants so um, and with great pleasure Kieran I'm gonna hand back to you because I'm, I'm panicking how do you do it Kieran see this is why I don't like doing improv it's it's it, it's difficult and it's not funny as we've just discovered I just do mind maps and shout out amortization randomly, and, and <laughs> yeah, that's and I've managed to manage to fool the audience to date. <laughs> well, that also goes for our love life as well, Kieran. To be perfectly honest, we, we've been getting away with that for quite some time. <clears throat> anyway, I'm much more looking forward to this next question, Kieran, because it, without giving too much away, it's going to give me a chance to laugh at your current predicament, which is which is not. Anyway, it, it's a question from Gareth Spicer, and Gareth says, without wishing to annoy Kevin. I am one of Kieran's fellow Brighton and Hove Albion fans who are quite enjoying life at the moment. Are you, Gareth? Are you? <laughs> in, you five, five o'clock yesterday, you, you enjoying life, were you? That's called hubris, that is, Gareth. That Shakespeare used it quite often. That's, that's pride going before a fall, that is, Gareth. When Gareth was emailing this question a couple of weeks ago, he's going, ah, ha, ha, we're in Europe. I'll just give a little shout-out to Brighton and tease Kevin about what's happening. And that's, so it's your fault, Gareth, that Brighton lost 6-1 yesterday, just saying. Um, <laughs> but Gareth has a, a, a good question, Kieran. He's, and he says, given our experiences of 20, 30 years ago, having our club run by men and women with such clear devotion and basic common sense can leave us a little delirious at times. However, one policy the club has appeared to adopt under Bloom and Barber does puzzle me. Quite a few of our squad joined the club on an undisclosed transfer fee, and it seems that Brighton do this more than most clubs. What is the benefit of leaving fees undisclosed for both the buying and selling clubs? And does this have to be mutually agreed as part of the deal? Additionally, who does the fee have to be declared to? The FA, Premier League, HMRC, etc. Well, I think there's, there's three questions there to unpack, and I'll do those in reverse order. As far as declaring the fee to the FA and the Premier League and HMRC, that has to be done because when the transfer of the player's registration takes place, all of the paperwork includes not just the transfer fee itself, but also the dates at which the individual elements, the individual instalments of that transfer fee have to be paid. So the, the information is in the, the football domain, but it doesn't tend to go into the public domain. Um, now, part of this is to do with the nature of the owner. Tony Bloom is a professional poker player. Now, anybody that's ever played poker will say that sometimes if you win a hand, it's because you're playing the opponent. You're not necessarily playing their cards. You're playing the opponent. You're, you're recognising ticks. You're recognising whether they're aggressive, uh, neg uh, defensive players, and, and so on. And 
sometimes you will win a hand by bluffing. And what you do is that if they pay for you to reveal your hand, then you show it. But if they don't, you just say, I've won the hand, and you don't disclose. So what you're doing is that you're creating an air of mystery. You're creating an air of uncertainty amongst the people with whom you're competing. Well, Brighton's view is that that's what we have to do as far as the transfer market is concerned. Brighton still have a bottom six budget as far as the Premier League is concerned. So therefore, it's a case of both buying and selling smarter as best they can. So they don't tend to reveal the transfer fees. Um, most other clubs don't care particularly. Some clubs like to make statements. So you know, in, in the case of you know, Caicedo, it being a record fee, um, I think Chelsea were keen to to present that to their fans. Say, look, we've just signed the, the most expensive player in the history of, of uh, domestic transfers. But Brighton prefer not to do that because if other clubs don't know how much they've received or how much they've spent, they can't second guess when they're next trading with Brighton how much to charge them for a player. So if Caicedo goes, they're looking to bring in a replacement, or how much have they got? If you don't know the fee, it, it gives Brighton a bit, just a tiny edge as far as negotiations are concerned. And that's the only way that um, a, a club with a limited budget can punch above its weight. It's by having a series of very, very marginal gains, which it utilises within the industry. That surprises me a little, Kira, because there's, there's no doubt that Brighton are an incredibly well well run club at the moment it's, you know they 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 have plans their recruitment both on and off the pitch is exceptional they're a very good team to watch it breaks my heart to say but they they are but one of the the things that um is always mentioned in the media loving with brighton is how astute they are in the transfer market how they 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 scour the world for bargains and they pay very little for players that eventually are sold on for a huge profit so if we don't know how much the original fee is because Brighton don't disclose it. How do we know that the profit is as big as we're, we're thinking it is? Well, you have to disclose your total profit from player sales in the annual accounts. Oh, right, okay. So, okay, so right, it, right. you and then you can sort of back work. You, know, you know that in a certain season they sold Dan Byrne or in the next season it was Mopay and, and so on. So you, you can sort of prescribe figures to players. Um, but I know that they don't like disclosing anything more than they have to. And I think they were actually quite miffed um, when Graham Potter went to Chelsea, which was you know just over a year ago. Um, they didn't particularly want to uh, have to reveal that they made £22 million in, in terms of compensation for him uh, going to, to Chelsea for those many, many months. All right. Our last question, Kieran, comes from Chris Elms. And Chris says, uh, I love the show. Thank you, Chris. It's very kind of you. Um, while I, of course, follow all the intricacies of the accountancy discussions and could easily ask an incisive question about amortisation, I actually want to know if Kieran can explain when he uses monies as opposed to money. On a recent pod, he mentioned the money is distributed to the EFL clubs, but I've heard him use both apparently interchangeably. Is there a system? Kieran, before we answer this question, can you remember the fuss? It's always difficult to second guess what is going to agitate our listeners. Can you remember the two days of Twitter fuss we had about what the plural of euro was, whether you should say a million euros or a million euro? And apparently both are valid. So just let's not try to go down that particular 
pathway, Kieran, can we, if possible? Well, Chris, um, there is no right answer. Um, You've been talking to that bloody lawyer again, haven't you? (laughs) That's right. The answer is a classic, it depends. Um, I'm probably the least qualified person to speak on this. As somebody that failed my English O-level in 1978, and it was was nothing to do with you, Miss Waldron. It was all to do with me. Um, My my vocabulary has never been particularly brilliant. I still still nervously uh, try to work out is it stadiums or is it stadia, for example, the plural of stadium. But I, I did look this up. And as far as money is concerned, it is deemed to be what we refer to as a mass plural noun. (laughs) So therefore, both money and monies are valid, but it is common in certain industries and in certain scenarios, which happens to be the financial and the legal industries, to use the word monies. You then have a debate as to should monies be be spelt M-O-N-E? E-Y-S or M-O-N-I-E-S. Oh. Is, is this what people, as, as I never go to pubs because I don't drink, is this what people genuinely talk about when, no. when they're sort of sitting around a table? No, Kieran, you, you, you've been to the Porson's Arms a couple of times, Kieran. Yes, I don't think even Julian Chenery would give the time of day to, and he would talk to anything, anyone about anything. But I, I think there'd be short shrift if the conversation got so dull that somebody went, is it? Is it M-O-N-I-E-S or M-O-N-E-Y-S? And then somebody would say, well, you wouldn't know because you never buy a drink, so let's move on. <laughs> uh, um, Kieran, you've got a very good vocabulary. Don't put yourself down, my dear friend. You, 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 you're very good with all words and stuff like that. Um, thank you to everyone who has donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that would be very kind of you. And you'll get access to our chat community and our regular quizzes. And you can do that by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. Tickets are available now. They are selling well, so you need to get in quite quickly for those three dates in our little autumn tour. And we'll be announcing uh, spring tours quite soon. So we'll be in the Winter Gardens in Blackpool on October the 12th for our book launch, the Lowry Theatre in Salford on October the 22nd, and the Royal Yacht on Jersey, which has now been confirmed is not a yacht, Kieran. There is some conjecture, but people on Jersey very kindly uh, sent us a photograph. They probably wouldn't send me a photograph after I accused them all of being half French, but that wasn't in a bad way. I'd love to be half French. But that's November the 7th. To get your tickets, go to uh, priceoffootball.com. And now I'm going to get loads of stick from my Irish cousins. What's wrong with being half Irish? And then if I say, well, I want to be half Irish and half French, my English cousins, it's a minefield, Kieran, of my own creating. <laughs> All of my own creating. And finally, if you'd like to pre-order our new book, Unfit and Improper Persons, An Idiot's Guide to Owning a Football Club, or one of our other books, or get yourself a Price of Football t-shirt, you can also find details on the website, question, and that's priceoffootball.com. We'll be back with a news pod on Thursday, which um, I wish I could say won't include stories about our free clubs in the noughties there but I already know that they will unfortunately um, in the meantime now I shall hand you over to Mr Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell well thank you to everybody for all the support and I can also confirm that uh, one of the our recent guests on the show Chloe Horrocks from Manchester United is going to be a guest at the Salford Lowry and uh, if you want to find out who's the least reliable person in terms of 
remembering to bring their passport. Um, what, what's the biggest plane? Is it true, the story, that they, they once took the, the Champions League trophy, they had to put it in business class because it was so big when they were transporting it? <laughs> Chloe will be giving all of those stories and more at the Lowry, and uh, Chloe will be an absolutely fantastic guest. Um, there are other ways uh, to support the show uh, and that, that's to give us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever uh, vehicle you use to download your podcasts. It, it helps us in the charts. It helps us with algorithms. It helps us to book guests such as Chloe. They, they tend to look around and say, you know, how many reviews? Uh, we, 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 you know, most people seem to like the show. Uh, so thank you very much for that. Um, it doesn't matter what you actually say as far as the impact on the, the algorithm is concerned in, in terms of your review. You could even say you would rather have the show presented by Dan Wooten and Martin Branning. And I suspect <laughs> that could be a single-voiced show and rather brief. Uh, yeah, what's the phone number of that secret lawyer, Kieran? Just in, just in case. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Bye, son, for the